You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. If you would turn to Luke, we're continuing our study in the book of Luke. We're going to read out of chapter 4. Verses 42, 43, and 44, and we'll be moving into chapter 5. Luke 4, verses 42, 43, and 44. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom in other towns too because that's why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Verse 43, Jesus makes the comment, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God because that's why I was sent here to do. The people didn't want Jesus to leave Capernaum. didn't want him to leave that area. But what the point he's making is that his main emphasis was teaching. The main emphasis of Jesus' ministry was to teach, not healing. He healed in order to get his message across. So when we look at the healings that Jesus did, it was to get a message, get a point across about who he was and why he came. Not all the miracles in which Jesus performed are are told to us in Scripture, but certain ones are. And here in chapter 5, we will look at a couple of different ones. And chapter 5 reveals how these healings relate to the message. So let's begin in Luke 5, verses 1 through 3. And it's a change of gear before we get into healings. He's teaching again. So verse 1 of chapter 5. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to be able to listen to the Word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, but for fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So many people had come to hear him that he decided to preach from a boat. In the boat he chose to go out into the water in was Simon Peter. Not by chance. He knew exactly whose boat that was and who this man was. And you remember from last chapter, he had healed Peter's mother-in-law. So there was connection there. Taking the boat to the water, he was able to use the water to to act as amphitheaters that people gathered around the shore, his voice would carry bouncing off the water. Because there were many, many people there. And everyone could hear what he had to say. And when he told Peter to push out into the water, Peter would hold the boat. Push the the boat out into the water some some distance, not too deep, and Peter would just stand there and hold the boat so it wouldn't drift away. Have you thought about that? That the message that Jesus was teaching just wasn't for 
the crowd that was there. It was for that man standing there holding that boat as well. He had a message for the multitudes, but he had a message he wanted Peter to hear. His boat. And what I gather from that story is that the teaching of Christ is for everyone. Everyone. Everything that Jesus taught, we need to hear. We don't need to hear it once. We need to hear it many times. Because we tend not to get the point. We tend to forget the importance. And I've heard people say things like this about lessons. Well, I already know about that. I don't need to know that again or hear that again. I've heard that many times. Have a lesson about marriage. Why? I've been married to be 44 years next month. Next, you know, next month. Why do I need to hear about marriage again? That kind of attitude we have, isn't it? About a lot of the teachings. It's for the other guy. Teach about sin. Teach about something. I don't have a problem with that. that that's not for me. But yet, you know what I've found out over these years I'm convinced that the person who thinks that a particular message is not for them needs that message more than anybody. When we get to the point we don't think we need a message from God's Word, whatever that message is, we really do need it. Because there's an attitude and a heart problem there, isn't it? So look at what Jesus said in verse 4. What he says to Peter, says, Now he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Verse 5, Master. Now here's his response. Here's Peter's response. Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. That reminds me of some comments I've made to my wife before when it didn't seem like it, it was something I really thought needed to be done, but I didn't want to, okay, I'll do it. Why did Peter respond this way? Well, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, was a, a huge lake. It is 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, and it's 140 feet deep in the deepest part. And the best fishing was done at night because the depth of the lake is so deep, the fish would move to the shoreline in the nighttime hours and they used nets to catch fish. They weren't casting with rod and reel. They were throwing nets. And they had to go where the nets could catch the fish. And that would be near the shoreline at night. And because of this, Peter and these other men had been fishing all night. And here Jesus showed up in the daylight hours. Don't know exactly what time, but it was daytime. And he, he preaches, and Peter's hanging on to the boat. He's probably thinking, I'm ready to go home. I've been out here all night. And yet, when Jesus was done, Peter didn't get to go home. Because Jesus makes a request to him. Go out to deeper water. And Peter is a fisherman by trade. And this carpenter 
is going to tell Peter how to fish. That's like in my profession. Everybody's a coach. Everybody knows all about it. Oh, yeah. They sit in the stands and do all kinds of coaching. They sit in the chair at home and do all kinds of coaching. But their livelihood didn't depend on it. So here's a guy who is a fisherman by trade, and he's letting some guy who is a carpenter going to tell him how to fish. But he agrees. So, well, if I've stood out here holding this boat all this time, I guess I'll give this a go. And I'm sure Peter's thinking, he's crazy. This guy's crazy. He might heal people, but I know fishing. The request was not logical. It made no sense. It made no sense. But despite the unreasonable request, Peter did it. So he submits to this command. And it's a valuable lesson to us. What God asks us to do may not seem reasonable to us. It may not seem logical. It may not make sense. Because we think of things in human terms. It may seem even impossible. But if I'm faithful... I'll obey. You see, Peter wasn't sure about it. He said, well, okay, I'll do what you say. So in verse 6 of Luke 5, it says, And at this time, their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. This doesn't make sense either. This is not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen this way. A shout for help from their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. So the, the point of all this is, if by the word of Jesus, this heavy harvest could happen, then something, greater could, something even greater could happen. And that's what these guys, these fishermen, James, John, and Peter realized. In verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please forgive me. Leave me, I'm such a sinful man. For he was all struck by the number of fish they had caught, as were others with him. He was all struck by this. But remember, Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. But the catching of the fish really got his attention. Different things hit us harder than others. Jesus replied to Simon, oh, verse 10, I'm sorry, his partners James and John and the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Jesus had given them his word against all logic. They had a tremendous harvest. And what came about from this, Jesus was inferring, if you think this is something, just wait. Just wait. So they left it all and they followed Jesus. After this catch they had, this harvest they had, they left it. The biggest one of their entire careers and they leave it. He got their attention. In verse 11, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. They were in for a journey and adventure. And as 
all Peter ever knew was fishing, and now his life is going to be changed forever. And true to Jesus' word, the catch was bigger. You think about Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when Peter delivered the first gospel sermon. And over 3,000 people were caught up into Peter's net that first day. And they, he became a fisher of men, fisher of people, a fisher of women. He preached that gospel sermon and the Holy Spirit moved and reached people's hearts. When we say, I can't talk to somebody about Jesus, or I'm not able to talk to somebody about Jesus, you're selling God short. When we bring forth the Word of God, it's the Holy Spirit's job then to move that person's heart. It's not on what I say or you say. It's about releasing the Word of God to a heart and let the Holy Spirit work on that heart. It's not about me at that point. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing. I have to speak the truth. I have to bring forth the truth. Then the Spirit will work. It wasn't that Peter was a great preacher. It wasn't that he was a great orator. It wasn't the point. On the day of Pentecost, Peter delivered the Word from his heart and the Spirit moved. And that's how God brings people to Jesus. Jesus had called these men to follow Him full time. He chose them. And He asked them to come with Him because these were the men that were going to be a part of His apostles. He needed to take these men and isolate them and teach them. And it was on-the-job training. So they watched and they listened. That's discipleship. He was going to take three years to teach them. And we have read and we have studied over the course of time about their failures and their successes. Their failures because they took their eyes off Jesus. These men had to walk through the stages of discipleship. They had to watch Jesus. They had to hear Jesus. They had to assist Jesus. They had to walk with Jesus. They had to learn about the Holy Spirit from Jesus. They had to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. But we're called by Jesus to be His disciples as well. When we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, as the Lord and Master of our life, He calls us to be His disciples. He wants to be the Lord of our life. But too many Christians look at this in a different way. They want the benefits, but they don't want to make the commitment. They look at following Christ like what is a trend in our day and time of unmarried couples living together. They want all the benefits without the commitment but not understanding what the real benefits are of being married. So if we approach our Christianity the same way, we don't really understand the true benefits of following Christ. It's eternal benefits. It's joy and peace here as well. We want the benefits without the commitment. 
Jesus said this in John 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. It's not a do or don't list. It's all in. I follow Jesus. We need to experience these stages of discipleship. We need to watch what Jesus did. We need to hear what He says. We need to assist Him as being a part of His church, part of His body. We work with our Lord in the church. We need to walk with Jesus in our everyday life. And we need to learn about how the, what the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You want to do something for Jesus? Follow Him. We make this way too complicated. There's not a course to take. There's not a pattern to follow that churches tend to come up with. It's strict, simply following Jesus and His Word. Study the book. Pray and let Him lead you. Now, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 5, we come to the point of this study in which we see that Jesus will heal a leper. Verse 12, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. Keep that in mind. He has an advanced case. When, Jesus saw, when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. A leper with an advanced case of leprosy. Leprosy is an infectious disease that causes severe disfiguring skin sores and nerve damage to the arms, legs, and skin areas around your body. Advanced cases will lead to the loss of fingers and toes, nose, the nose, the ears, and, and so on. And is known as in ancient times as a walking death. So this man who approaches Jesus is in advanced stages of leprosy. That means he has more than likely lost a nose, fingers, ears, because it's advanced. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapters 13 through 14 outlines specific guidelines for the treatment of lepers. And it's why do I bring this up? Because to see the severity and the consequences of this meeting. It, what it tells us in Leviticus 13 is a priest would examine an individual they thought they had this fatal disease. If they had the disease, here are the consequences of this diagnosis. And it remained the same for centuries because there was no cure. The individual had to leave society. They were not allowed near their family or friends or people in general. And if anyone came near that person, they would have to declare very loudly, unclean, I am unclean. Stay, get away. They were required to do that. It was a social stigma. And when people would see a leper, they would scatter. When I was six, seven, 
eight years old, there was an older man who lived down the road from where we lived. And we lived in, in a subdivision. And the older man lived outside the subdivision. And for some reason, all the kids in the neighborhood believed a rumor that this man ate kids. So we'd be playing out in the yard and the old man would walk once a day down our street. And we'd see him and panic would set in and all the kids would scream, here comes the old man that eats the kids. And we would run and go jump in bushes. I couldn't get in my house because my mom would lock the door. It'd scamper around and hide. As I, when I got older, I thought about I said, that is so terrible, what we were doing. But I believed it as a small child. When people saw a leper, they reacted the same way. They ran. They got away. It was that horrific a disease. But verse 12, the first part of verse 12, when the man saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground, begging to be healed. He broke all social and medical protocol. And what he should have said to Jesus, unclean, I am unclean, get away from me. But the man said, Lord, if you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean? How would he know about Jesus? Lepers were, he couldn't go to the, the crowd, be in the crowd and hear him, but possibly he heard the message from a distance coming off the water. I don't know when he, Jesus preached out of the boat. Word travels about the miracles that Jesus had performed, but he asked Jesus, if you are willing, will you heal me? He didn't say, if you are able. Do we approach God that way? Do we approach Him? Say, Lord, if You are willing, will You do this? Or do we go into it doubting and have the attitude, is He really able to do this or not? Are you willing? We see in verse 13, here, here is what is so amazing. Jesus reached out and touched him. He put his hand on him. Jesus reached out and touched him. He said, I am willing. Be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared. Can you imagine the reaction of the crowd? They saw the leper and they scattered. And they see Jesus put his hand on him and they gasp. yet Jesus reached out and touched a man that no one else would touch. His own family would not touch him. Jesus touched him. And immediately the leprosy left. He was restored. If he was missing a nose, if he was missing ears, if he was missing fingers, they all were instantaneously brought back. It wasn't just a matter of the skin getting clear. It said he was an advanced case. It was 
is we would think of it as stage four cancer or worse. It's terminal, possibly. Leprosy was terminal, yet Jesus cleansed him. This event mirrors, well, think about it, mirrors what happens when Jesus touches us. When Jesus touches me, He has heals me from my sin. I'm unclean until Jesus touches me. He reaches out and touches me when no one else will. Jesus reaches out and He forgives me. When He forgives me, He has healed me from the destitute problem of sin. Sin is a leprosy in our spiritual life. It eats away, taking parts of us away as it goes along. And what happens in the end, if we are not delivered from that sin, we spend eternity in that sin, in hell. Jesus came to heal every person from their sin. When He forgives us, we're restored. He makes us whole. And then, here in verse 14, the first part of verse 14, Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. Really? You think that man's going to keep his mouth shut? He cannot tell anybody? What happened to you? I can't tell you. You're the walking dead. I know, but I can't tell you. You know he's going to tell somebody. But Jesus told him to do this. The latter part of this verse, verse 14. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This would be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Jesus was following the protocol of Leviticus 14. The leper, if a leper thought that they had been cured, they would go to the priest for examination, just like they went to the priest for examination when they contracted the disease. Now what Jesus was telling him to do now was scriptural. Follow the scriptures. The procedure would be the following. That he would go to the priest, be examined. He would then make a sacrifice of a couple of designated birds. The priest would take the blood from the birds, sprinkle it on the individual, and then he would tell them to go away and come back seven days later. There would be a seven-day waiting period to see if he was truly cleansed. He'd come back to the priest, and the priest then would give him confirmation. Then the healed person would be announced to the public as now being clean. So Jesus had a reason. Tell the man, don't tell anybody. Follow Scripture. But he also was putting the priest on notice. One with Masonic credentials was here. The Messiah was here. No one had been healed of leprosy since Elijah the prophet did it some 400 years before Jesus came to his ministry. Do you realize that? No one had been healed of leprosy for over 400 years. 
And Elijah had done that. This was an announcement. The healing pointed to the message. The healing of this man did more than heal him of leprosy. It pointed to the Messiah. It made the announcement that the Messiah is here. Jesus was the Messiah. And yet, the political, religious group, the Sanhedrin, would not accept Him. And He had done something and it hadn't happened in 400 years. The word of this leper's healing spread throughout the region. Look at verse 15 and 16. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of His power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear Him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness for prayer. The crowds came because they heard His power. Then He could teach them about the kingdom. See, Jesus didn't want people just to be attracted to Him because of the healing. It wasn't the powers that... That wasn't the reason He was healing to attract people. He healed people in order to get the point of His message across. And a lot of people just followed Him around to see what He was going to do next. And what He could do for them. Wrong motivation. But it hasn't changed. Here in 2021, people still are attracted to Jesus for the same reasons. Some people still say, what can I get out of this? What are you going to do for me, Jesus? Wealth? Prosperity? Oh, that's, that's being taught out there. Good health? An easy life? Well, Jesus didn't promise any of those things. What He promised was He was going to bring life and bring it more abundantly. He was going to rescue us from eternal sentence of death. Jesus said this in John 10 verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. What more could we want? He has promised us eternal life and He says, no one can snatch them away from me. When Jesus saves you, He has saved you. And nobody can take that away. He just wants us to follow Him so that our life here on this earth is lived for Him. And then we tell more people about the good news of Jesus. That we share Jesus Christ. We don't keep it a secret. Think about being a disciple. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come up at this time. Think about what Jesus has to offer. He has offered eternal life. And if you haven't accepted Jesus, this is the day to do it. This is the day to accept Jesus and have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father God, I just want to thank You so much for loving us so that You send Your Son to rescue us from the 
power of the darkness, the dominion of evil. And Father, I pray that we reach out and truly want to be a follower of Jesus and not just an attraction. Father, help us. Help us to open our hearts to You. Thank You, Father. Thank You for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.